we were here for the first time about almost exactly a year ago, I guess it was. And uh, we've missed you ever since we've left. <laughs> we really have. We have, uh, we have been, uh, uh, we've thought about you a lot. We uh, occasionally, Pastor Jerry and I will text each other, and uh, we've just been looking forward to being back with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. And it's good to see you tonight. Thank you for coming out on this Wednesday evening service. I see over here, by the way, a uh, couple of friends that uh, came a long way. I think they're going to win the prize for being the traveling the longest. Uh, this is uh, Pastor Dimitri. I, I, I'm, I, I pronounce his last name Kalishnikov. That's not it, but that's close enough. <laughs> he, and his, he and his wife are here from Kiev, Ukraine. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, they've been in the States for a few weeks now, I understand. You guys have been, I haven't even seen them until just now. But uh, they, they came in for a camp meeting Tulsa. And then they went to the Southwest Convention in Fort Worth. And then they extended their trip just to come up here and be with us in these meetings. So, amen. We had a, uh, we had a minister's conference earlier this year in the Ukraine. And uh, there was just a real connection there. And so uh, these guys have, have uh, come all the way. This is first time in this uh, first time for them in this part of the country. And uh, I don't know how many times they've been to the States. Not that many. But uh, this, is, uh, this is certainly the first time up here in, in this area. So uh, praise the Lord. Glad to have you guys. Glad to have you guys with us. Amen. Well, we're glad to be with all of you, and uh, we're looking forward to tonight, and of course, uh, Friday night is the, uh, uh, what do we call it? Holy Ghost and Fire Service, and then Sunday morning uh, for our uh, uh, third and final service of these, uh, this week. So uh, we're just uh, enjoying our stay up here, enjoying our time, enjoying your pastors. You guys have some awesome pastors. You know that? You really do. Glory to God. And uh, we're, we're privileged to call them our friends, and uh, it's just great to be with you tonight. I want you to, uh, let's, let's get into the Word tonight, all right? That'd be all right? That's why we came, right? Let's get into the Word tonight. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of uh, Galatians, the third chapter. Now, Pastor told me that um, uh, you guys have been... Uh, Talking about how to have a how to live stress free on Wednesday night. Is that correct? Yeah. So is everybody relaxed? Huh? Shouldn't be any stress in here right now. Amen. I mean, y'all been learning all all these good things. And, but you know, the thing about seriously, the thing about living stress free is it's not just a matter of uh, you know learning how to cope. I, I don't I don't think God calls us to cope. You know, I, I don't think God calls us to survive. I believe God calls us to thrive. And uh, it's not about coping. Uh, I never have liked that word, you know, uh, just the, the concept of it. And yet that's where a lot of Christians are. They're just kind of in this coping mode because they don't realize that there has been a divine exchange. That there has been, that, that something has taken place not just to remove the stress and all the things that cause that from you, but to replace it with something else, something far greater. And so if you don't know that, then um, what you wind up doing is just trying to operate in your own strength and your own ability. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, very familiar passage of Scripture, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 14, that... I like to read it like this, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Then in verse 16, he says, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He points out, he's not seeds plural, but one seed, to thy seed, which is Christ. And then we come down here to chapter, uh, uh, chapter uh, verse 26. Where it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How many of you have put on Christ tonight? Could I see your hand? You've been baptized into Christ. Not talking about water baptism, but baptism of, by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ the new, by virtue of the new birth. If you've been baptized into Christ, then 
you are, you have put on Christ. And verse 28 says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, and there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, so in Christ, it doesn't matter what color you are because all the racial distinctions disappear. No Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no bond, no free, all the class distinctions, all the gender distinctions, all the racial distinctions have no bearing whatsoever. In Christ, there is a blessing that is equally bestowed and equally available to all. Amen. Now, this word blessing is an interesting word. In the Bible, it's found over 500 times in one form or another. And like so many things, anytime you hear the word, a word that is used that often, it has a tendency to kind of become just a religious word. You don't ever think about it. Kind of like what I call Christian CB talk. Any of y'all remember the CB radio era? You know, where you're talking all this stuff and cotton picker and good buddy and howdy doody and all that stuff. And, and uh, you, you kind of pick up this lingo and it's just, it's just talk. Well, we have that same kind of thing going on in the body of Christ in a lot of cases. And I think this word blessing or some form of it, bless, is one of those things. Because we'll use it so often that we don't even think about it. For instance, before we eat, we say the blessing. Well, what does that mean? Well, we just, we just pray. Well, why do we pray? Well, because that's just what we do, you know, and we don't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, we, uh, we'll use the word, uh, somebody say, how you doing? We'll say, well, we're blessed. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad habit. It's actually a good habit to have, to call yourself blessed. But I want us to stop and think about what that means for just a minute. Now, I know you're well-taught people. You probably have had some insight into this. Maybe you've even heard some of these things, but you've never heard me tell it. So, you're in for a treat. So, um, but anyway, this word's found all, the, all these many times, you know, 500 times uh, plus in, in the Word of God. And so, it, 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 anything that is repeated that often, well, it, it bears some scrutiny. We ought to stop and take inventory and, 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 and look at it a little bit. Praise the Lord. I mean, I've heard this word blessed used in so many different ways. Down south, probably not so much this way up here, but down south where I come from, you can even use it as a, I mean, it, it'll, it'll let you insult somebody and get a pass on it. I mean, you'll hear people down in my part of the country saying, you know, that gal's so ugly she'd snag lightning, bless her heart. <laughs> well, that guy's as dumb as a box of hammers, bless his heart. And it, as long as you add bless their heart on the end of it, you can say anything you want to, you know, and insult them. And so this is... This is a word that's used, you know, quite commonly and in a lot of, a lot of uh, connotations. And yet, it's a mighty important word because when you look at it, again, in that 13th verse, and the 13th and 14th verse, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Well, that's talking about what He did on the cross. He took our place. And then the next verse, verse 14, says, so that, so that, He's about to tell us why, Jesus hung on that cross and why these things, you know, took place so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, which is you and me. Pretty much the, the church uh, today is made up of the Gentile people. And so he said, so that the blessing of Abraham, not so that you go to heaven. Not so that you could do this or that, but so that the blessing of Abraham might come on you. Now, we also see in this verse of Scripture, he calls it the promise of the Spirit. And we see that faith is involved. Faith receives this work of Christ. Faith also is involved in the blessing upon your life. Now, again, I, I, know, I know our common roots, our common connections, and you've probably heard the word blessing defined. What, what is the definition of blessing? What do you, what do you, how do you define blessing? It's a question. It's all right. We, <laughs> Pentecostal church here, we can talk to each other, right? Glory to God. Well, I mean, you know, different people have, have ascribed different definitions to it, you know, that uh, 
uh, what is it that, that we've heard before? I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Um, I've got my definition of it that I, I want to elaborate on, but, but in some form or another, it's, it's referred to as the, uh, the divine ability of God to do what you couldn't do, some, something like that. Well, that's true. But I, I want to take it a step further, and I want, you to, I want you to understand that the blessing of God is a, it is a measurable thing. The blessing of God is not just a pronouncement like a lot of people. They, they think of the blessing is something that a priest says over a congregation, or a blessing is something that uh, you, know, you invoke by, by the words of your mouth. And, and, and while there is an element to that, the blessing of the Lord is a divine empowerment. It is a divine energy, if you will. I want you to think about it as an energy because an energy kind of makes us think scientifically. It makes us think about, you know, the world we live in. Energy is something that produces. Energy is something that, uh, that, that flows. Energy is something that uh, you can measure, not always the energy itself, but you can sure measure what it does. You see, these lights are here tonight because of energy. And you take away the energy and the light goes away. You take away that flow of electricity. In the same way, the blessing of the Lord is a divine energy, the Scripture says, that comes upon you through Jesus Christ. He calls it a work of the Spirit. And he also tells us something else here that's very important, and that is that it's something that comes on you. Now, the work of the Spirit of God is twofold in the believer. And we, we tend to make much of what the Holy Ghost does in us, and rightly so because His work in us is profound. That's where it begins. We are new creatures in Christ. He has he's come to make His abode in us. He's come to, to uh, dwell with us forever. He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our comforter, and He lives on the inside of us and puts us in divine communion with God. But the Scripture says that the blessing of Abraham, this work of the Spirit, would come upon you. So there's also a work of, of the Spirit on the believer as well as in the believer. Can you say amen? And while we tend to think a lot about what He's done in us, a lot of times we don't realize and we're not conscious of the fact He's on us. And He's on us in order to produce results. Now, the, the blessing of the Lord, and I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly because I want to get somewhere, but the blessing of the Lord, it has a twin that you probably are a little bit more familiar with, really, when, or at least you think of it a little more accurately than you do the blessing. This twin of the blessing of, of God is called the anointing. Now, everybody pretty much in our circles would understand what an anointing is and what it's for. What is an anointing? Is an anointing just a pronouncement? Is it just a, uh, a, 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 a poetic string of words? Is it just something that someone just confers upon you? Or is it something that actually is likened in many cases to a mantle, a cloak that would come upon a person to what end? to enable that person to minister and represent the Lord reaching out to others. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, when He went into His hometown and began to preach, He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He didn't say He's in me. He was, but He said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? So that I'll be in good shape, so that I'll, you know, I'll look good. No, He said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for you. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. To preach, the first thing He said was the gospel to the poor. To preach deliverance. To preach recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. Glory to God. He said, I'm not here in my own ability or in my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, excellence or in my own uh, uh, skill. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me tonight or today, in order to do something good in your life. Praise the Lord. And anybody that knows anything about ministry doesn't even want to try to do anything without the anointing of God. Because then, brother, you, you, that's called work. That's called heavy lifting. 
And really that's what the anointing is there for. It's to do the heavy lifting in behalf of others. Now, go with me to the book of Proverbs. Let's look at something here. Notice what it says here in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Your version up there, the New King James says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. But I like the King James because it points out it, it, it reads like this. may not be the best grammar, but it said, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. See, it. He calls it an it. The blessing of the Lord is a thing. It's a noun. It, it's, 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 you know, what's a noun? A, a, a person, place, or a thing. And the blessing is a thing. It, it's, not just, it's not just poetry. It's not just a, a, a pronouncement. It's a, it's a divine energy that works on the believer and where the anointing, as I said a while ago, the, the anointing of God is an identical twin. Or let me say it like this, the blessing of the Lord is an identical twin to the anointing with one difference. Now, the similarities are, 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 are many. They work alike, they flow alike, they produce alike, but here's the difference, and there's only one difference between the anointing and the blessing. The anointing of God is God's divine energy, God's divine power on the believer for the benefit of others. The blessing of the Lord is that same power and that same energy on the believer for your own personal benefit. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Or as one translation says, it makes rich and toiling does not increase it. In other words, it takes the place of toiling. It's God's ability working together with your ability. Now the thing about the blessing, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that this blessing could come upon us. This blessing is not something that God gives and takes away. He has given it. He has, he has, he has conferred it upon you. However, as we see, as, as we read earlier from Galatians chapter 3, faith is mentioned in connection with it. Faith has something to do with it. And so what we see is, and what we understand is, that that blessing, though never pulled away from you, never taken from you, it can be activated and deactivated. But it's not God that does the activating, and it's not God that does the deactivating. And a perfect illustration of this is... Uh, well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll come back to that. Let's look at something else. Let's look at, at the results of this. Go with me to the book of uh, 2 Samuel. There in the Old Testament. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. I don't know, this is one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. And it, it, we read it and it goes by so fast, a lot of times we don't think about it. But let's look at it tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is a story of David. King David, going after the Ark of the Covenant in order to restore it to Jerusalem. It had been captured years before by the Philistines and it had been away from home for a while. Now you know under the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the dwelling place of God. God, God told, told Moses and, and Israel to build this box and he said, that's where I'm going to make my home and, he, and it, it was just so. He had it like he wanted it. And so this, this Ark of the Covenant became the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. You saw the movie, right? And, and so God lived in this box. And this box was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies, in, you know, inside the temple or the, first of all, the tabernacle. But it was stolen by the Philistines and abode there for a while. Well, they sent it back because it didn't do them any good. See, God didn't want to live with them. He wanted to live with Israel. And he made that known. <laughs> and they said, we get it. So they sent that box back. And so uh, David went down to get this box. And, and the Bible says that they put this box on an ox cart. Well, that's not what God told Israel to do. Now you understand, I, I believe David and all these men meant well. Their intentions were good. 
But like someone once said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not what you intend, it's what you do that counts with God. Are you listening? Yeah. God doesn't, he's not, he's not concerned with your intentions. He just wants you to do what the word says. And there's a reason for that because God knows how things work and what it's going to take to get good things going on with you. So just do what he says and not what you think ought to be done. Don't, don't tamper with the word. It doesn't need any modification. It doesn't need any modernizing. Just, just take it as it is, okay? All right. So they, God had told Israel when they built the ark that when they moved it, the, he, he had rings made on the box, on the ark, and they had special wooden poles that the priests carried uh, that box on their shoulders. And, and there was a reason for that. See, in the Old Testament, the power, the glory of God was conveyed by men. It lived in the box, but it was conveyed by men. Same in the New Testament. The power of God is conveyed by men. You and I, we've become the dwelling place of this glory. And when the glory can't move until we move. So God had told them how to move this box, but they didn't for whatever reason. They put this box on an ox cart. And as they begin to roll, and you know back in those days, those carts, they didn't have springs or anything like that. So I don't know, maybe a, the wheel dropped in a rut and the ark started to slide off. Well, David's captain, one of his main captains named Uzzah, put his hand out to steady the ark to keep it from falling off. And he died from it. Why? Because there's energy in this box. There's power in this box. Don't you remember when Indiana Jones took the cover off of it? Don't you? Don't you remember all that that came out of it? Huh? Yeah. No, seriously, there's power in that box. God, the glory of God's in that box. And when he touched it, it wasn't that God was mad at him. I know how the Old Testament reads, but, but, but it wasn't that God was mad at him any more than if you walked up and stuck a screwdriver or a, 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 a you know, a... a paper clip in the wall socket and got bit you wouldn't have got you wouldn't get bit because the power company was mad at you or trying to punish you it's because you mishandled power right and that's what happened to Uzzah he just mishandled power I know a man who was an electrical engineer I mean he knew he understood these things but one day he flipped the switch when he wasn't in the right position or condition, uh, wasn't standing on an insulated, you know, mat, and he flipped a switch of, uh, you know, very, very high voltage, and it, it fried him. I mean, it, it put him in the hospital. It burned him badly. Now, this is a guy who knew all about power, and yet that power has no respect of persons. You can be smart or you can be dumb. Either one, mishandling it, though, you'll get the same results. Right? And this is what Uzzah did. And so Uzzah put his hand out and it bit him. And it wasn't that God was mad at him. It wasn't that God said, I'll show you. It's that you just can't handle that kind of power any way you want to handle it. You've got to be insulated. And God told him how to stay insulated. All right. So David, he's seen his, one of his favorite captains die. And now he says, that's it. Stop. We've got to stop this. We, we're messing up. We, we got to regroup and come back and do this right. And so they said, well, okay, David, what are we going to do with the ark? Well, there was a guy standing over here watching all this stuff go on. His name was Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom said, um, you can leave it at my house. Let's read it. Verse 11, or verse, verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Verse 11, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. 
So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And this is where he came back dancing before the Lord. You know the scripture, how he was so excited. He danced and got in trouble with his wife and so forth. But, but, but this, this is what happened. Now, now we read over it so quickly, a lot of times you don't stop and take inventory of what's going on. But notice what it says. It said, And the ark of the Lord abode in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, ninety days. And then the scripture says, And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertained unto it. Whew. Stop and think about this. In 90 days, Obed-Edom began to see such manifestations of God that it got back to Jerusalem and David heard about it. In a day before there were cell phones, before there was any texting, before there was internet, before there was CNN, before there was any, any kind of electronic media, in another city, something's happening in the house of Obed-Edom. Now, what's happening there? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us specifically, but we can read things into it and we can, we can uh, you know, uh, infer things that, that uh, wouldn't be an exaggeration. I mean, to say the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom, if he just got a raise at work, that's not going to make history in, I mean, not going to make the news in the capital. What's the capital of Oregon? That's correct. Now, <laughs> you getting a raise here in Redmond is not going to make the news in Salem, right? Right. So something's going on at Obed-Edom's house that is traveling, news is traveling, and the way that news traveled in those days was people here went there and they began to talk about it. Well, what's going on? Well, I mean, something's happening in Obed-Edom's house. You know, I mean, he's, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking about it. He goes out back to, you know, plant a garden and he strikes oil. He just goes out there and sticks a shovel in the ground and up from the ground comes a bubbling crude. Right? Texas tea, black gold. <laughs> yeah, things are, yeah, that's true. Things are, well, you can watch that stuff on YouTube, you know, on Netflix. Uh, but things are, things are happening. Good things are happening in his life. I mean, you know, he's, he's uh, they decide to have a garage sale. And, uh, uh, you know, they got all this stuff that they got from uh, Grandma's house and they're going to, they're going to sell it all and they get to looking through it and, and there is an autographed Babe Ruth baseball. <laughs> and that painting that hung, you know, over the mantle all those years that he looked at, they get to looking at that and that's some kind of a, uh, you know, painting that uh, just th that lost Van Gogh that they've been looking for, you know. And things are just popping. Every day is a new adventure. Good things are going on in Obed-Edom's house. His hair starts growing back in thick and dark. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. His wife starts looking younger and trimmer and prettier and all that, you know, and it's not, uh, it, it's not from going to the gym. It's just something's happening. Glory to God. And, uh, you know, every day the neighbors, you know, they, they, they're, they're talking. Did you, hear, did you hear about what happened? Obed-Edom, you hear about that? No, what happened? Well, let me tell you about it. He went out back to plant a garden and so on. Is that right? Yeah. And, and they get to talk. Well, this, this thing happens on a daily basis. Pretty soon, they were in the local papers, writing a column, you know, happenings at the house of Obed-Edom this week. <laughs> and then the wire service picks it up. And so now then over in Jerusalem, within 90 days, you know, the, the staff, David's staff there at the presidential palace, they're having coffee at the, at, the, at the staff kitchen. And one of them says, did you see CNN last night? <laughs> no, what happened? Well, Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, yeah. Well, David walks by about that time, and he hears him talking. He said, what's going on? What y'all talking about? Oh, we're just talking about Obed-Edom. He said, Obed-Edom, that, that, that name sounds familiar. He said, yeah, boss, don't you remember? That's where we left the ark three months ago. Yeah, well, what's going on? Well, you hadn't heard about the oil and you hadn't heard about the Babe Ruth baseball and you hadn't heard about his wife and you hadn't heard about his, you know. David says, no kidding, all that happened? Yeah. He said, we got to go get that thing. <laughs> right. 
And so that's when he went back, and that's why he's dancing when he's coming back into Jerusalem, you know, glory to God, because he's bringing this thing into his house. Are y'all here? I said he's bringing that ark into his house. And the point is, the Holy Ghost lived in that ark, and Obed-Edom, all he did was say, look, leave it here. He, I don't know, maybe he cleaned out a place in his garage, or he might have moved the sofa and left it in his living room. I don't know, but he made room for the house of God in his home, and when God came in, something came on that house. And today we've got a covenant with God and he moves in and when God moves in, he brings something on his house and there's something on you, my sister. Glory to God. And that that's on you is there to provide because God doesn't like living in a shack. That Old Testament house, he said, I want that house. I want it just so. And it was beautiful. The temple that Solomon built, it was amazing. I was down in uh, Brazil uh, two or three years ago, and uh, there's a pastor down there who has built an exact replica of the temple of Solomon for his church building, except he scaled it up. It had to be bigger to accommodate his crowd. It seats 10,000 people. And he used, you know, all, he imported all the building materials from Israel. Even, the, even the, the palms and the things like that that are outside, you know, and that decorate it. And with a few modernizations, it's an exact replica of the temple of Solomon. Amazing. And you know what it cost him to build it? $600 million. U.S. And he paid cash for it. I was there. I saw it. I talked to him. I toured it. Now that's what God said, build me. Because he doesn't want to live in some kind of run-down mobile home. And so when God moves in, he brings everything needed on his house. And you are his house. And he has put some on you that is designed to put you and him over. Because he didn't come, he didn't move in to take up space or to cause you extra burden. He pays his way. He's a good tenant. I mean no disrespect by saying this. I'm just saying this to, to strike your thinking. He is a good tenant. He pays very well, and he does it on time. But it takes our cooperation with him. And so when, 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 God's, when God moved into the house of Obed-Edom, notice it says he blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertained to it. All that pertained to it. What pertains to you? I mean, everything that matters to you pertains to you. Everything that's important to you pertains to you. And God's blessing is on you to take care of the things that matter to you, that concern you, and that pertain to you. God's divine empowerment, God's divine energy, it's just as real as the energy that lights this building. And just like the energy that lights this building, you, you, you don't feel it. You can't see it. Most of the time you don't think about it until it's not active. Who opened this building up tonight? Who, 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 who was the first one in the auditorium? Are you here? You? You were the first one in? When you walked in, was it dark? How long did you pray? To, uh, to get it lit up like this. How long um, did you fast today so that we'd have lights tonight? Huh? How, how, how did all this happen? Did you, you prob did, did, it, did you have any trouble getting through to the power company when you called? 
to uh, get them to make this happen? No, the power was already here, wasn't it? And he didn't pray about it, and he didn't fast about it, and he didn't sweat it. He just walked in and flipped the switch. And when the, flip, the, the switch was flipped, the power flowed, and the lights and the sound came on. And the air conditioning, thank God. <laughs> Can you say amen? amen? If any man be in Christ, not only is Christ in him, but the Spirit of God, His blessing is on Him. Praise the Lord. Now, as I say, that blessing can be active or deactive. It can be activated or deactivated. But it's not God who controls the switch. Who is it that controls the switch? You and I do. And the thing about the blessing of God is this. It's very simple. It's activated two ways. It is voice activated and it's motion activated. Some years back, I was in Brazil, and uh, <clears throat> one of my, it was my first trip down there, 2007. We were in this uh, resort-type place. The hotel had been built, but it had kind of uh, been a, not abandoned exactly, but just it was in a part of town, and the, they, they, uh, it wasn't quite completed. So anyway, it's in a part of the, part of the uh, rural part of the place where I was, and it's kind of real dark out there. The meeting was going to start at night, <clears throat> and I... Uh, was in my room, and uh, the, the conference center was just downstairs, so I was just going to walk from my room downstairs. And uh, I opened the door. The services down there didn't start until late. I opened the door to walk out and go down to the conference room, and the hallway's dark. Okay, well, somebody's turned the switch off. So I felt around the corner here for a switch to sit, because I was kind of at the end of the building, nothing happened, I, I couldn't find a switch, so I thought, well, and this was before I had, uh, I, th I think it was before I had my iPhone, at any rate, I didn't think about it, so I didn't have any light, I said, well, I'll just kind of feel my way around, because maybe there'll be a switch at the end of the hallway, so I, I walked out, and it was dark, and I, you know, I didn't want to trip over something or fall down an elevator shaft, so I'm feeling my way around, but as I stepped out, the lights came on, and I thought, oh, okay, they, they have motion sensors, see? Now, here in the States, we're used to the hallways always being lit, but there to conserve power, the motion sensors, it'll time out, but as soon as it detects motion, the lights will come on. Well, you know, once I found that out, once I realized that, ever since then, I have boldly stepped out into the darkness yeah. when I was in Brazil because I knew. As a matter of fact, I used that as an illustration. If somebody's with me, I'll step out, the lights will come on, and I'll say, my blessing is operative because it detects motion. Are you here? When you put your hand to something, that's when the blessing of the Lord will go active. Well, what we do a lot of times, we sit around and wait on God to move, on God to make something happen, and it's not going to happen because that blessing, it's there, it's ready, it's in standby mode, but you've got to speak what you say. Are you here? How, how do you get the 91st Psalm to work? He that dwelleth under the, in, uh, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's a good place to live. All those benefits, you know, angels bear you up in their wings lest you dash your foot against the stone. No plague come near your dwelling. All those good things. How do you get that to work? I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. Glory to God, I declare that the power of God has protected me. I, I declare that no sickness can come near me. I declare I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. When I say things like that, when I speak like that, that blessing goes active. Now you can't feel it necessarily, and you can't see it. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you can see the anointing on somebody. I remember years ago I was in, uh, where was I, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I was at an ICF, back in those days they called it ICFCM, Buddy Harrison, you know. Buddy was the head of ICFCM, and this was in the late 70s. And I'm sitting, I got about a thousand seat auditorium, and I'm sitting about halfway back. And uh, I'm new to all this. And, you know, I mean, I'm hearing 
Holy Ghost and you can have what you say and word and authority of the believer and Jesus and the blood and all. I mean, I'm, and I'm reading Wigglesworth and I'm reading John G. Lake and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a devil, you know. I mean, just come on. You remember those days? Yeah. And, and I'm sitting back there. I'm just soaking it all in. And Buddy Harrison in the morning service, he's up there teaching. You know, Buddy Harrison was the Dad Hagen's son-in-law. And um, so he's up there walking around just teaching. And I, I looked. And, you know, wasn't anything wrong with my eyes. I did one of these and looked. And I saw, Pastor, I saw around him an aura. And it was, it followed the contour of his body, but it, it seemed like the glow was about out to here, just the shape of his body. He just glowed. I could still see him. I could see his body, but I saw that. And I saw, I rubbed my eyes and I looked again. And it's still there. I said, glory to God. Man, this stuff's real. I knew it was real. Now I see it. God opened my eyes and let me see that anointing on him. Are you here? And then since those days, I've had people come up to me after services and tell me, Pastor, I, I, saw, I saw something. I saw a glory and aura around you while you were teaching. Well, I know it's there, but I can't feel it. I can't see it. It's not tangible to me. But the results are because I'm, I'm reaching you. Right now, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. And He's enabling me to penetrate your heart. To, I'm not just teaching you like a college professor would teach you. The anointing is driving these things in and you're never going to forget them. Not only that, but they're going to set you free. You're going to leave here changed. Are you all here or not? Well, now see... We, we, we revere the minister and we revere the anointing when it's doing that for us. But keep in mind, that same kind of power, that's the twin of that power is on you and goes active every time you speak and every time you act in obedience and in cooperation with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yeah. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. No sorrow. No sorrow. Now what we have to do is, we don't want to make the huge mistake of leaning to our own ability and letting the devil deceive us and pull us into a place where we've inadvertently deactivated that anointing of God. I want to give you quickly a, uh, a little three-word principle here, and we'll talk about one of them. These three words are focus, follow through, and flow. Now, flow is a very scriptural principle. Power flows, and there is a flow of God's power in your life. And just like that switch, it interrupts or it completes a circuit and enables it to flow. And so it is in our lives. What we want is a constant flow of God's ability in our life and a constant flow of, um, you know, the right results. <clears throat> and so what, what we have to do is we have to take those first steps, again, focus, follow through, and flow. Now, I won't take much time with this, but focus. Know what God has said to you at any given time. Consult God about what you do in life. Get up in the morning and give God the opportunity to touch your heart by opening yourself up to His Word. Get a download from God every day. He'll use that to help you. It's not about, oh, have you read your Bible for an hour? No. Have you gotten today's download? He wants to keep you up to date. Don't you have to download updates to your apps and to your computer programs periodically or else they're, they're old and out of date and subject to hackers? A lot of those updates are security updates. And if you don't have the latest security update, you're, you're susceptible to a 
computer virus. So just get a download every day. And God will use that to help you and to protect you. And, and, and in that, what you'll find is that the Holy Ghost will give you direction. And, 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 and when He's spoken to you, focus on that. Then, when you know where you're going and what you want to do, be sure to follow through. And this is, I, I cannot overstate the importance of follow through. Anybody that plays sports in any way knows that follow through is crucial. We got any golfers in here tonight? Anybody play golf? Then you know that what I'm about to say is true. The follow through is as important as any other part of your game. Matter of fact, that's probably where most people fall short is in the follow through. They'll, they'll line up and then, you know, they'll whack the ball, but they don't follow through. And because they don't, they'll you'll slice it, you'll hook it, you'll miss it. But follow through, every golf pro, every instructor will tell you that's important. If you're batting, you're hitting a baseball or softball, follow through is a crucial part of that. In everything you do, every activity of, of any kind practically, follow through is as important as any other part of the, of the equation. Even something as simple as shooting. Now most people may think of shooting a gun as just pull the trigger and goes bang. But expert shooters, what they work on is follow through. Pulling that trigger. Not just until it clicks, but pull it all the way and then let it reset. And your expert shooters, your, expert, your sharp shooters, your marksmen, your competition shooters, they practice the follow-through as much as they practice the sight picture and all that because it's that follow-through that makes the difference. And here's where we miss it a lot of times. We don't follow through for one reason or another. Number one, we get excited about the, about the idea, about what the Lord gives us or shows us or tells us to do, and, and, and we, we go at it until it gets hard. And then we, hmm, must have missed God. We don't follow through. You want to be successful. You want to see God's work accomplished. You've got to follow through. And when you follow through, you'll get into that flow. Things will flow. And you'll come to the place where actually that flow will be kind of a continuous flow in your life. But here's where the devil beats people all the time is in the follow through. It's not that they don't hear from God. It's not that they don't have faith. It's that they don't, it's that they're not diligent about pressing on in. I'll give you a couple of testimonies here. You know, back a number of years ago, back at, well, 2008, I guess it was, my wife and I, we, you know, traveled all over the world, but lived pretty much in the south, and uh, we came out to the west coast, really. It wasn't the first time we'd been out here, but we came to California. We were on our way to either to or from Fiji, and anyway, we just stopped in California, stayed there a few days, and I don't know, it just, it, it ministered to us. It was just very pleasant. Well, uh, at any rate, uh, make a long story short, we, we decided in 2008 that we wanted to get a place in California, buy a house. So uh, the market was down, you know, the housing bubble had burst, and it was, there was a lot of distressed properties out there. And we found this little place. We were doing it as an investment, you know, but we found this little place, and it was just a, just a little house in a, a subdivision, gated community. It was nice, but there was a lot of houses for sale in there, a lot of bank-owned properties, and this was one of them. It was bank-owned, but we had a friend who was a Christian, you know, in a church down there and, and uh, uh, real estate agents. So we found this house and uh, we liked it. And uh, we looked at each other and said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get this house. So we put in an offer on it and uh, they took it. Like I say, it was bank owned, real estate owned. And I'd never bought one like that before, but uh, we went through the process and I think we closed in like three weeks. The agent said, my Lord, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, a bank-owned property, oh, my goodness. They said, this just has to be God. I've just never seen 
one closed this easy. Never seen a sale go through this easy when you're dealing with the, with the bank. I said, well, we, we believe it's God. So sounds good to us. Well, we use that little house as a vacation place, you know. Just It was nice being able to get on the plane and not have to carry any luggage. Just go there and you got all your stuff. My son and his family lived there for a while. Well, in 2011, you know, the market's still in in distress, but there's signs of things. We, we know things are going to turn around. My good friend, Ed Dufresne, lived down there in the same area, and he told me, he said, you know, Scott, I've seen this happen before. He said, the market goes down, but he said, it always comes back. And he said, it always comes back stronger than it ever was before. I said, well, I, I believe you, especially out here, you know, and I don't believe it'll take that long. So uh, we, we, we got the house. We enjoyed it for several years. And then in 2011, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, now, if you want to upgrade, talking about a house, if you want to upgrade, now's the time to do it. I said, you know, I believe I will. Now, he didn't tell me I had to. He didn't, it wasn't a commandment of God. It was a, a help. He just said, you want to upgrade? Because we'd been thinking about it. You know, maybe we'd like to get out into the, into the wine country. We like wine country. You know, all the agriculture's like Italy. You know, it was beautiful out there. And so... Uh, he said, if you want to upgrade, now's the time. I said, well, I believe I will. So we put the house on the market, and it sold in, again, like three weeks. And uh, there were other houses, you know, competing with it, but we sold it quick. And once again, and this was the agent that worked for us that time was Dr. Dufresne's daughter. And she said, well, that was the Lord, you know, just happened so quickly. I said, I believe it was. Now, we didn't make any money on it, but we didn't lose any. We got everything out of it because I wanted to put it into something else. Well, we talked to another agent later on, and we, we, we looked, and this was in, uh, what was it, January of 2012. We're out there, and we, we've kind of given ourselves a deadline, and we're looking for a place. We know what we want, but we don't know where it is, and so this agent's got all kind of properties to show us. So we're... And, and, you know, you understand, I'm, I like the way the Lord worked the first time. Just put in an offer, they take it, boom, here we go. All done. And uh, you, sometimes you kind of expect that that's the way it's going to be. But just remember, Paul, just because something's the will of God doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right? Paul was in the will of God. You ought to read his testimony. He ran into some obstacles. So uh, we, uh, 2012, January 2012, we're out there, we're shopping around, and we've looked at what seems like 50 different properties, and it's just none of them had been right. So the last night, we're scheduled to fly home the next morning. We're having dinner with the agent that night. I had been looking online on, on an app, and I had found a place that on the app looked good. So he said, I'm sorry we couldn't find what you wanted. I said, well, have you seen this place? And I showed it to him on my iPad. He said, no, I don't know anything about that. I said, well, listen, call these people and ask them if we can look at this house. Tell them our situation. Tell them we're flying out tomorrow. I don't care if it's clean. I don't care if it's staged. Just, I just want to look at it before I go. Will you ask them, may we? It's dark. It's night. He calls them up, calls the agent up, and they say, yeah, yeah, okay, you can come over. So we went over there, and we drove out into, down the dirt roads and found this place finally, and we were way out, it seemed like, way out. In the, in the sticks, and it's dark out there. We come to the end of this dirt road, and there's the house. So we walk up, and the agent knocks on the door, walked up the driveway. It's, it's, it's about five acres, you know, all fenced, and, but it looks good at night, but it's dark. And so the agent knocks on the door, and the lady opens the front door and looks at the agent, and I'm standing behind him and to his left, and she looks over his shoulder at me and says, Oh, my God, it's Pastor Webb. And I had showed up at the house that was owned by an employee of a church that I was close to down there. And what had happened was her husband, had, they had bought this house, it's a beautiful place, but they bought this place, and then he'd lost his job when the economy went down, and they're upside down in it. The bubble burst, you know, the, they owe more than... So they've got it listed as a short sale. You know, a short sale means that the banks agreed to take less than it's worth. So we talked there a minute. She was kind of embarrassed by us being there, and so we didn't make a big deal of it. But we walked through real quickly and left there, and I said, I like this place. I believe this is it. We, Phyllis and I talked. 
I said the next day before we went to the airport, I'm going to drive back out there again and look at it in the daylight just from the street. So we did. And we talked on the way home, and, I, and we said, we're going we're gonna to go for it. I believe this is it. Just in my spirit, you know. It wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't a, a neon sign from heaven. It was just a, that's it. Go for it. I had that green light, you know, that, that smooth, yeah, that peace about it. So I said, we're going to go for it. Now, I'm thinking this is going to be just a cakewalk like the other one was. So we had talked to the owner, and they said, you know, Scott, I believe, Pastor Webb, I believe that, that you could buy it for this, even less than it's listed for. But I said, you know, I appreciate that. She wanted us to get it, but I said, I'm not going to get in a bidding war or argue over pennies. I want this place. So I, gave, I made the offer on it that they had asked for, that the bank had agree, already agreed to. Well, they took it. Praise the Lord. We're on the way. Here we go. This is January 2012. Well, as they did the title search and got into all this, they knew there was a first mortgage, and they knew there was a second mortgage. But in the title search, they found there was a third mortgage on it. Well, the first mortgage holder and the second mortgage holder had agreed to something. Then they found a third mortgage holder, and the, first, the bank in the first position said, all right, we'll give you this for your, your mortgage. The bank said, okay. But then the second mortgage holder said, wait a minute. They're getting more than we are, and we're in second place. No. Well, they go back and forth like that. Well, all this time I'm giving them, you know, all my records and all of this and that and other and a quart of blood and just everything that they're asking for, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I've got money, but I don't have enough to pay cash for the whole thing. We're going to put a big chunk down, but I've still got to finance some. But um, uh, anyway, going back and forth. So we, every week that went by, We'd get right up to that place. We're going to set the closing date. We're going to close, and then boom, something else would happen. And most of it was these bank departments arguing. Now, again, first position, second position, third position. It's the first and second position bank that are arguing, and it's the same bank. It's just two different departments in the same bank. I'm thinking this is idiotic. I mean, it'd be one thing if it's two different institutions, but this is the same bank. You just got two people can't get along. And the thing is, it's not their money, it's not their house, and they just playing a game. I'm the one that's suffering, you know. Well, now I'm telling you, this, this went on and on and on and on, and we'd get right up to that place, and it'd fall apart. And I'd think, man, did I miss God? Have I, you know... Am I, am I just off in left field? But there was just something on the inside of me wouldn't let me let it go. I wanted to. My flesh did. But I remembered a number of years ago in my church back in Birmingham, we had a young man who came to, church, uh, came to the church after he graduated from Auburn University. And when he was at Auburn, he played wide receiver for the football team, and he, was the, he had the number one record for ca uh, pass receptions. And may, it may still stand today. Number one wide receiver for Auburn University. He only dropped one catchable pass in his college career. And he shared with us that Pat Dye, who was the coach at Auburn at that time, Pat Dye told him there's only two reasons why people drop passes that are catchable and then blame it on the pass. Number one, they take their eyes off the catch and they start looking toward the goal line. Or they take their eyes off the ball and they start looking back at the defense and see what that position is and where the tackle's about to come from. In other words, taking your eye off the ball is the only reason, only two reasons why they drop these catchable passes. So... We're, we're going through all this stuff. And uh, I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I've just, anyway. But we just stay with it. Just keep on, keep on going. Trust in God. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. We're in August. We're about to go to closing, finally. You know, you wonder, is this really it or not? But yeah, we're about to go to closing. They got everything they need. And then... 
the two bank departments say, no. We, we, we're just going to let it go to foreclosure. We can't come to an agreement, so we're just going to let them sell it on the courthouse steps. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. But again, it's not their money, so they don't care. You know, it's just, just business with them. So I said, well, okay, they're going to foreclose the house. It's, it's gone. I said, Lord, what do I do? The Lord said, go to the auction. I said, I've never been to an auction. I know people that do that, you know, and, but I've never bought a house on the courthouse steps, you know. I, 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 in principle, I knew how it worked, but I, I never had any firsthand experience with it. I'm in Alabama. This is happening in Riverside County, California. Uh, the Lord said, go to the auction. I said, well, okay. So I started looking into it. What do you do at an auction? Well, you go and you take the money and you pay for it. I said, okay. So, man, I looked everywhere that I could in my, all my resources, and I gathered together all the cash that I could put together. And it's a pretty good chunk of change, a lot of money. But um, I talked to the agent. I told him what I was going to do, and I talked to the agent. He said, well, got bad news because the opening bid, the minimum reserve bid, whatever they call it, is this much, and it was more than I had. And I couldn't get my hands on more cash without really taking a beating on it, you know, some investments. So I, I, I've, got, I've got this money, but I don't even have enough to get into the, the opening bid. I said, Lord, what do I do now? Lord said, I told you, go to the auction. I'm thinking, well, what's the point? Why go to the auction? I don't have the money to buy it. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord about this, trying to get him to understand and he just goes dark on me. He doesn't say any more. I'm thinking, well, okay, go to the auction. I'll go to the auction. So I called the agent. I said, I'm coming. So I flew in the night before. We went to the courthouse steps, 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, out in the courtyard. They got several different auctioneers, you know, auctioning off different parcels and so forth. We found ours. We found the, the company that's handling the deal we're interested in. And so I'm standing there, and I'm watching. I'm not in the bidding. There's two guys there, two businessmen-looking guys, you know, kind of Southern California-looking guys. And uh, you can tell they're just, they're just real estate guys that buy and flip houses. So they bid, and then there's this woman with a bunch of kids, and she bids. I'm standing there watching this, standing next to the agent. Then he bids, and then she bids. Well, I'm standing close to the two guys, and one of the guys turns to the other one and says, she's not going to let it go, just forget it. So they had bid, then she bid, and they just backed off, and she won the bid. Hammer drops. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm here. What do I do now? He said, go ask her if she wants to sell it. Hmm. Now, maybe you that would have been obvious to you. It just never occurred to me. So I walked over to her, and I said, well, I told the agent. We walked over to her, and we said, um, what are you going to do with that house? You want to sell it? Turns out that she works for a guy who buys and sells these houses. And he's a Christian. And so we said, we'll call him up and ask him if he'll take $10,000 profit on it and we'll buy it as is. She called him up and he said, sold. And I got it for the same price that I had agreed to buy it from the bank for exactly the same money glory to God and so we bought that place and we fix it up and it's an investment for us it's gonna it's gonna make us a nice nice little profit now I got to figure out how to keep it and not let California have it but anyway that's a different <laughs> that's a different story but here's the deal it would have been so easy at any point to give up on that I thought over and over and over this deal is dead the devil told me, this deal is dead. Move on, son. Don't waste your time. But I just knew that the Lord was in it, and I knew that, this was, that, that he wanted to do something supernatural here. And praise God, he did. And I'll tell you, that place has been everything that we believed for, everything that we believed it would be, and uh, what a blessing it has been to us. Glory to God. Focus and follow through. Listen, there's something on you, child of God. There's a power of God on you. 
And the only reason it doesn't produce more often than it does, or one of the main reasons that it doesn't produce more often than it does, is because you give up too quick. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the generic you. You understand? People tend to give up too easily. Now, if God's not in it, then know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> but if you know that the Lord's in it, He's not asking you to just try harder. He wants His blessing to produce in your life. And all He needs for you to do is just stay with it. Be diligent. Do everything you can. Put your hand to it and watch Him bless it. I was driving to church the other day and there was a, a guy, that, well I was getting in a turn lane, there's two, two turn lanes and there was, uh, one of them was backed up so I got in the other one that I don't normally get into and there was a car stalled there and there was a, I think it was a woman in the car steering it but put, and there was this guy on the hood that was pushing it backwards trying to get it into a parking lot get it out of the, out of the road and he's pushing and it's just bare, barely moving, you know, because it's level, but it's still a lot of weight. And so I'm looking at this as I approach it, and I think, well, is there a place over here? I'll pull off the road and I'll, I'll help him do it. But before I could even do that, a car ahead of me pulled off the road, and the guy jumped out, and now there's two of them. Then there was a guy that was riding a bicycle. I had passed him, but because the traffic stopped, he catches up to me. Well, he lays his bicycle down, and he jumps over there, and now there's three of them pushing. That thing's moving on pretty quick. And so I, I saw they didn't really need my help, so I didn't even stop. They had it in the parking lot before I could have gotten out. But the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, son, that's all I need. He said, that man, he didn't stand there and wait on somebody to show up. He just put his hand to it and started pushing. And notice how all that help showed up. He said, if my people will just put their hand to it, do what they can, I'll provide all the help that they need. And it'll be a blessing and not a burden. And you know, when you got that many people pushing a car like that, sometimes you don't even know if you're doing anything. You're just kind of moving along with, the, with it. It gets rolling and you, don't even, you really don't even feel the weight of it. Praise God. The Holy Ghost is our helper. He's here to help you put your hand to it and expect His power to make manifest in your situation. Can you say amen? amen. Everybody say it out loud. Focus. Follow through, Follow through and flow. flow. Say, I am, I am blessed. God's power, God's power is, at is at work in my life. The greater one's in me, greater one's in me. and His power, His power is on me. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Stand up and let's give God praise tonight. Come on, stand to your feet. Glory to God. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.